Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I've entitled this teaching, When Jesus' Story Intersects Your Story. When His Story Intersects Yours. You know, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and God in the flesh walked this planet and He changed everything. The most famous person in all of history. More songs have been sung to Him, artwork created of Him, books written about Him, more than anyone else who's ever lived. Some of you may remember the name H.G. Wells, the author of The War of the Worlds and The Time Machine. Here's what he said. I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure of all time. But something he missed. Wells missed the fact that Jesus is not only the most dominant figure of all time, but he came to encounter us. That's been our series, Encounters with Jesus. And every time he encounters someone, he changes them. We've seen in this series how uh, Jesus encountered a man named Philip and changed his life, and he then in turn calls his friend Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. We talked about a scholar who lived in the shadows, Nicodemus, and how he came to Jesus in the shadows at night. And what did he do? Well, he got to hear for the very first time, for God so loved the world. Just imagine that being the first person to hear John 3.16, and he heard it from the mouth of Jesus himself. A five-time divorcee who came to get water from the well and left her water pot after she encountered Jesus, the living water. A couple of blind men. A family who, well, ran out of wine at a wedding and was embarrassed and was shamed by that very fact. And Jesus turned water into wine. A wee little man, Zacchaeus, tax collector from Jericho, how he was changed. And last week we saw a man who, well, who had been unable to walk for 38 years. And every time Jesus' story intersected theirs, they were changed. Now, you may be like me. Here's what happens. Every once in a while, a voice from the past starts to, well, starts to increase its volume. Sometimes a a past act that we did raises its ugly head. And we wonder if there's any hope for our future that we could be forgiven and set free from that. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ didn't just change lives back when he was here on earth through the Gospels as we read them. But Jesus' influence isn't relegated to the past. He still encounters people and transforms lives by the power of the Holy Spirit today. I won't share all the details, but for many years, we prayed for a man. I'll just call him Roger. We prayed for Roger's salvation. 
And some of his family and friends said to us, why are you wasting your time? Roger is against godly things. Roger is against church. He thinks it's a waste of time. Roger is against someone like me standing up here teaching you, even in this moment. But we prayed. We contended. We interceded. We lifted Roger's name to God. I even thought at one point, God might have been tired of hearing Roger's name. But that's not true. Because eventually... Rogers showed up at church. And I got to tell you, I was so excited. Roger walked in. Now, Roger was stiff. His arms were crossed. If body language could speak, Roger was saying, I'm not having any of this. I'm not interested. Roger smiled a little bit. He, he met the wonderful people of LFC, and they began to uh, engage with him and So I saw him smile as he walked away, but not a whole lot of smiling. Later that day, Roger went home. He sat his wife and his kids down and said, I'm making lunch. And Roger made lunch for them. And then before they dove into the meal, Roger stopped them and said, I'd like to pray. Man, his wife was shocked. His oldest son, I mean, you talk about shock. He was like, what? Dad's going to pray? And his daughter started chuckling under her voice. She thought it was comical. Dad was going to mimic some kind of prayer or some kind of preacher. And Roger, right then, he prayed for his family for the first time. And he said to them, I'm asking Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And he then made a confession that he died on the cross for me. He rose again from the dead for me. Wow! The gospel was coming out of Roger's mouth. And Roger was transformed. He began to serve. He didn't wait to be asked. He jumped right in. And then Roger started bringing his friends to church. And one by one, Roger himself led them to Christ. He would invite them to lunch after church, make them lunch, sit them down with his family. And that person, if they had a family, they would all be invited. And Roger became a mini missionary for God. Now, when we think about how Jesus works, it's not just water into wine or blind people that can see or lame people that can walk or dead people that come back to life. He still works today. And in our story today, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, who was transformed. You see, Jesus had already died. He had risen from the dead, and he had ascended back into heaven. But his work was not done, and he's still working today. Let me say it again. He's still working today. Now, while this story stretches across nearly the entire book of Acts, Paul himself summarizes his story while he was on trial for his life before King Agrippa. And rather than him just talking about his defense He uses the opportunity before the king in his own personal trial to share the gospel of Jesus and to share, well, about his life. The first thing I want you to see is Paul's past. Paul's past. See, trained from an early age in the Hebrew scriptures at some of the best universities of the time, you might expect Paul to be a man of peace. But wrong. 
Paul became a terrorist against Christianity. Anyone who followed Christ would be punished or even worse, put to death under Paul's leadership. I want to take you to Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through 11, and follow along if you would. I'm reading from the New Living Translation in this particular section, Acts 26, 9 through 11. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. So Paul was being funded by the leading priest to do terrorist acts against those who followed Christ. For years, Paul was the greatest threat to early Christianity. And while while Christians were starting to grow in prominence, and while they were growing in their faith in following Christ, Jesus Christ working in their lives, the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, we'll have none of this. We sometimes write off people like Paul. We sometimes write off people like Roger. We look at their current life, their choices, their hurts, their habits, their hang-ups, but God sees something beyond what they are today. Dear ones, if you don't hear me say anything else, catch this. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we disqualify ourselves for ministry or for the move of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Sometimes we look at our track record and say, what's the use? And sometimes we look at others and say, there's no hope for them. Well, some said that about Roger. And there was hope for him. He received hope from Christ and shared hope with others. And some would have said that about Saul, who would have his name changed to Paul, and would become, as we know today, one of the premier followers of Christ in human history. Paul doesn't confess to killing anyone with his own hands. Rather, he stepped aside and let his minions do the bloody work. In Jewish religious circles, Saul was an up-and-comer. He was advancing in Judaism far faster than anyone else his age. And by his own words, he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. So when the new Jesus movement started threatening those traditions, Saul went crazy. His persecution was so intense that the Christians of Jerusalem scattered to other cities, but not to much avail. Why? Because Paul tracked them down. He hunted Christians down. He had them beaten tried to force them to recant and blaspheme Jesus. And when that failed, he had them jailed and killed. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Paul was a religious terrorist. But sin doesn't have to be deadly to be devastating. Let me say it again. Sin doesn't have to be deadly to be devastating. It can be subtle. 
It's David's disrobing of Bathsheba. It's Adam's accepting the fruit from Eve that she received leadership from the serpent to eat. It's Abraham lying about Sarah. It's Peter denying that he ever knew Jesus. It's Noah getting drunk and naked in his tent. It's Lot in bed with his own daughter. It's the sneaking out of a teenager to meet someone in the dark of the night. It's the man searching for pornography. It's the mother who loses her temper. It's the father who abandons his children and walks out on them. It is someone who starts out holding a protest sign and ends up breaking a window or setting a building on fire or stealing from the store owner or the corporation. It is the person who gossips or makes up a story about someone. We call that bearing false witness. It's the cashier or the waiter taking a few dollars out of the register because they believe they're entitled. It's the mechanic who steals tools from his workplace. It's the Christian who's losing control over their life. It's the symptoms may be different, but the sickness is the same. And each of us are infected with this virus. You know the virus. The virus is called sin. And Jesus, the great physician, examines our hearts and fills out our charts. Mark 7, 21 and 22. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says it best. It comes from inside our hearts. And later we'll see that Saul started to look inside his own heart, his own soul. This Paul would later write in Romans 3.10, No one is righteous, not even one. And thankfully, and I am so thankful that Jesus offers the cure for our sin virus, our sin sickness. That's what we see in the second segment of Paul's story. It's Paul's salvation. Number two, Paul's salvation. And who would have thought? Acts 26, verse 12 to 15. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. Let me stop there and say this. Can you imagine Middle Eastern sun? It's the sun of the brightest day. I mean, it's just bright. But the light that shines upon Saul on this Damascus road is brighter than the brightest sun. How bright was that light? Well, let's continue reading on. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Here's a quick parenthetical stop. When you persecute Jesus' people... When you violate Jesus' people, you're violating Jesus himself. 
When you mistreat a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ or a child in Christ, who happens to be your brother or sister, you're actually doing it to Jesus. And opposite that, when we give somebody a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, it's as though we're giving it to Jesus himself. So when we do good things, we're doing it to Jesus. And when we do bad things, we're doing it to Jesus. When Paul has a chance to speak for his freedom, he looks at the king and he says, I want to tell you about the day that I met Jesus on the Damascus road. Paul tells the king that my knees were pressed on the compacted dirt of the trail as I had this encounter with heaven's light. It was God himself, Jesus himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what happened through that bright light. Saul ends up in a borrowed bedroom with scales so thick on his eyes he can't see anything but inside himself. God left Paul with scales on his eyes so thick that the only direction he could look was inside himself. We call that introspection. The dictionary says it's the examination and observation of one's own mental and emotional state. And I would add, it's the examination and observation of one's own spiritual state. As Saul looked inward, a great exchange began to happen. Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us about the heart of God. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. When Jesus' story intersects your story, he loved for the great exchange to happen. Where we give him our guilt and our shame, and he gives us forgiveness and life. Where we come with our disqualified selves, and he says, I qualify you to be my ambassadors. Later, this Saul, who would become Paul, would write in Galatians 2.20, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I want to say it again. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What a great prayer. And we would say, God, may I decrease that you might increase. May I diminish that you might advance yourself in my life. It's no longer I who live, but you who live within me. See, Paul just didn't have theological words here. Though theology is great. And he didn't just have an encounter with the Bible, though the Scripture is powerful to set us free. He had an actual encounter with Jesus Christ himself, and Christ moved in. See, Jesus Christ can live anywhere in the universe, but his preferred place is in your heart. In your heart. If Christ can live anywhere and he chooses to live inside your heart, how about we just welcome him in? If you're discouraged, welcome him in. If you're just fatigued and weary in this season, so many are. Welcome him in. And when you do, you'll see the third thing emerge in your life. It's called Paul's ministry. When you study Paul's history, 
you could conclude, again, that he would be disqualified for ministry. He stood against Christianity. He stood against what Jesus stood for. And Jesus himself said, why do you persecute me? But now, Christ would come and turn his life totally around. 180 degree turn. Go this way now. Become one who builds the church. And many of us have had our lives shaped by the words of the Apostle Paul. Think of the book of Romans. Think of the book of the Ephesians. Think of book, the book of, uh, of, of Colossians. Uh, think of what he says to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And the list goes on and on of the scriptures that Paul has written for us to be sharper in our faith. I received an email from a mom recently who was pretty overwhelmed. Kids are going back to Zoom school and everything. I mean, she was just, she's had it. She's tired. But she started to pray and ask God if he would put two other moms on her heart. She thought, you know, if, if I'm fatigued, if I'm weary, if I'm Zoom schooling again, if I'm trying to make dinner and if I'm trying to handle the budget and handle everything. And so she began to think, Lord, show me two women that I can help. Two moms. And God brought two moms to her mind. See, with her current life, she felt disqualified for ministry. So every other day, she contacts these moms. One on this day, one on the next day. And all she simply says to them is, how can I pray for you today? And then finds an encouraging, affirming scripture, something that can make a difference in their life. And they have a little chuckle together. They share stories about the kids. And after about 15 minutes, the call is over with. She wrote back to me and she said, I have to tell you, Pastor Bernie, I feel so fulfilled in ministry. I mean, I'm, I'm being a great wife and a great mom. But what I'm able to do with these two women is make a difference in their world. There's so much ministry out there for us. The pandemic should not be a, a wiping out of people serving and loving and making a difference. There are so many opportunities for us to be ambassadors for Christ. Part of the story of Paul, we pick up again in, in Acts 26, 16, where he hears these words, now, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. Paul, I have plans for you, and it's plans to declare the kind of God that I am in your life, the kind of Savior that I am. I want you to serve me and to be my witness. Let me give you a word from God today for you. He wants you to be his servant and his witness. Hey, Pastor, where will you find that? I just read it to you. Acts 26, 16. When Jesus comes to encounter Saul and turn him into Paul, when his story intersects Saul's story, guess what happens? He calls him to be a servant and a witness. There's no difference for you and me today. He wants us to serve the Lord. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's you and me. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what's our message? Reconciliation. What's our ministry? Reconciliation. How do we do that? Through service and through witness. We share the goodness and the grace of God with others. Opportunities abound. Remember, when people's emotions are high, they desperately need someone to ground them out. Uh, Recently, I saw this quote, when emotions are high, wisdom is low. (laughs) Somebody needs the wisdom of God, and you have it. Somebody needs the heart of God of reconciliation, and you've been given that. Somebody needs comfort, and we have been comforted. We could sit here and say, man, I'm going to be stuck. We talked about stuckness last week. Or we can say, yeah, but I've got issues. Woe is me. Woe is me. Why don't we stop saying woe is me and start saying great is he and ask him how he would like to use us. Ask him to help us identify a couple of people that we can pour our life into and make a difference. The needs of people are great and the hearts of people are open. They desperately need to know the Lord's strength and the Lord's salvation and the Lord's grace. And last point is Paul's legacy. Now, there's nothing in the Bible about the end of Paul's life. He he talks about himself being poured out like water. But there are sources outside the Bible that tell us what happened. What we do know is that Paul was ready to meet the Lord. Philippians 121, where he writes to the Philippian church, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am ready to meet my Savior. It will be my gain. But let me quickly just read a little piece of history to you. It was Clement of Rome, a bishop or pastor near the end of the first century, and he writes in 95 AD that Paul traveled to the limits of the West, believed to be a reference of Spain, the most western part of the Roman Empire. This means that Paul was probably released from this first Roman imprisonment and took the gospel all the way to Spain and back, something he said he wanted to do. You could look that up in Romans 15, 24. Eusebius wrote uh, in, in history of the early church around 325 AD, he wrote that Paul was beheaded in Rome during the reign of Nero, that madman. And it was during this persecution that Peter was crucified and many believe upside down. He didn't want to be crucified right side up as his Lord. He didn't feel worthy. Both were buried in Rome. His legacy is huge. A martyr for Christ, huge. 
And God used Paul to spread the gospel across the Roman Empire from Syria to Spain. He traveled more miles, planted more churches, and suffered more hardship than any other apostle. We have 13 of these letters that he wrote in the New Testament. Romans through Philemon. And when you read them, Paul's passion for Jesus, the one that met him on the Damascus Road, shines. Shines brighter than the sun that day. He never forgot what he was before Jesus or how much Jesus changed his story. So let me finish before we pray by reading his own words. Rather than looking up some more history about Paul, let me read what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 12-17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Get ready. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great, amazing legacy. He reads about who he was, and then he reads about who he is. Well, who's reading it? Timothy, the next generation. What's the legacy of Paul? Well, people like you and like me. What's the legacy of Paul? Timothy, who would read these very words, that Paul was shown mercy, that Paul was considered trustworthy. Again, no one is disqualified from the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to love and to serve. What will your legacy be? How will people remember you? If you came to the end of your life, what would you write? I was once far from Christ. I met Christ. He allowed me to serve him. I'm ready to meet him. What would your statement be? It would be a great assignment for you even this week. Just write down a few words. What do you want your legacy to be? And what's your ministry? To others? To hearts? And to lives? How are you making a difference and giving away what Jesus has given to you? Well, I've taken so much time this morning, but I hope you'll consider That all of us, well, we have a past, but we also have a great future ahead of us. That the story of Jesus wants to intersect our story. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to, well, be like Saul who became Paul. The Lord interrupted his life, just like I'm interrupting you now, and tapped him on the shoulder and shined a big light on him and said, Saul, 
You're lost without me. And Saul gave his life over to Jesus. And Jesus changed his name. And Paul, he changed the world. Let's pray that the Lord would fill us today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to believe in Him, to allow Him to, to be your Lord, that He died on a cross, that He rose again from the dead. These are the words of Paul himself in Romans chapter 10. And if you believe, and if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. It starts there. And if that's you today, and this is your day, I would encourage you to grab your cell phone and text Decide Jesus to 94090. Decide Jesus to 94090. We'll respond to you. We'll celebrate your decision. And lastly, I wonder how many of you are saying, well, I'm disqualified from ministry. I'm disqualified from serving the Lord. I would love to tell you that's a lie, because it is. God has a plan for you and wants to use you, just like he uses me and so many others. Now, Lord, <clears throat> I pray that you'll touch our hearts and we'll allow the light of Jesus to shine in our lives and through our lives. You've called all of us, like you called Saul, to become Paul, to have a ministry of reconciliation and comfort and to change others. Lord, use us. Continue to use Lompoc Foursquare Church and all the churches in this region who are presenting Jesus Christ to others, who are doing the best they know to do in the season that we're in. Resource them, help them, empower them. And I pray for the Sauls in the world, the Rogers in the world, that you would keep working on their hearts and that we would be instruments of salvation for you. Lord, bless these who've watched today. And thank you. Thank you that you have not forsaken us, that you are with us. And thank you, Jesus, you didn't only do your work while you were on this planet. You continue to work today as you encounter us and you change us from glory to glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.